if this is like the middle of middle propulsion and this is like my highest force and this is maximum IR and I go out here, that's more relative motion. It's just not full relative motion. Uh, I had a couple of more questions on rolling activities. My good. So uh, one variation that I saw you perform, I don't remember which video it was, but uh, you had the hip and the shoulder at 90 degrees and the person was rolling like as one unit. So basically they were rolling in middle propulsion. Yeah. Now, to me, that seems that you're just locking everything in and there is no point in rolling in that position. There's no point? Yeah, because everything is locked in, so you're not yeah. getting any relative motion. Okay, or, what if I don't want relative motion? Ah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's just teaching somebody how to uh, how to move in middle propulsion. Is there is uh, there is there a point in time where is there a point in time in a roll where I would want want that middle P expressed? Yes. Yeah, probably so. So if I'm if I'm working, so think about think about then why, why, why do you want the, them to move? So why not I, just hold the position, for example? Again. Why what? So why do you want them to move in that position? Why not just like hold it statically? So if, if I am training someone and the, the, the foundation of their program is working in middle propulsive activities, I might need an, an activity that, that meets that coherence of the program, right? And so I'm trying to teach them to hold the middle propulsive representation, right? Mm -hmm. So if you, did a, if you did an arm bar, Okay, with a very heavy kettlebell. Do you think you're getting full relative motions? Nope. Then why would you ever use a heavy kettlebell for an armbar? Because I want to teach you to hang on to a middle propulsive representation. So if I'm training force production, right? And I want you to be able to lead into a middle propulsive representation and come out of a middle propulsive representation, but I also want to produce high forces. I still need that representation. So it still is useful. It's like not the whole world is not dependent on, on you having relative motion. I still have situations where I need to train that middle propulsive representation. I need to capture the IR positions and I need to teach you how to maintain that. Right. Okay. So, so it, it just comes down to needs and then strategies. It's like, what am I trying to achieve? Right. And then in that exercise, so if you're rolling with this 1990 uh, position, uh, would there be still obviously a little bit of movement? There has the to be. There has to be a little bit. Otherwise, you'd be stuck, right? Right. But the and idea then, is like, it's like so, so if this is like the middle of middle propulsion and this is like my highest force and this is maximum IR and I go out here, that's more relative motion. It's just not full relative motion. Right. right. So I was thinking for people maybe who are really stuck in middle propulsion, that exercise could be, as far as recapturing relative motion, you could potentially use that exercise to kind of take them out of the middle. Yeah. Propulsion. You, so you start there. So we, we've talked about this when we talk about some of these people that are that are very, very compressed anterior to posterior. It's mm -hmm. like they don't even, they don't have any space. And so I can put them in their middle representation and I offset their feet just enough that I create a little bit of relative motion and I start moving them there and then it starts to become a bigger motion, right? Yeah, you mm -hmm. can do that.
Okay. And then, uh, so uh, another question, if you're having, so a lot of these rolling activities, you're not going to have your foot on the wall, but potentially you could have one foot on, like if you're in sideline, and you've talked about this before, you can have one foot on the wall. Yes, sir. For example, the down leg, and then you're just using the right leg to move back and forth. Yeah, like a stepping? Yeah, like a stepping. stepping. Uh -huh. Right. And Absolutely. in that situation, you would probably want to see the pelvis also kind of roll back and forth. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And that's the same thing that we're kind of talking about here. It's like, so by fixing that foot to the wall, you're kind of sticking them towards a middle representation. And then I move you back into a, a, a late representation and an early representation back and forth by doing the stepping activity. Right. So it's right. just stepping forward and back on, on, on sideline. Okay, and there's the same thing. Somebody's stuck in middle propulsion. You just put them there and you start with like smaller movements and over yeah, time- make just, them like All we're movement. talking about is, is that early rolling strategy that we were talking about b before um, in the early part of the call, right? We, where you put them on their side. Like I think it was Zach's question where, where we were talking about the, the rolling activity and such. It's like you put them on their side and you start to do the smaller- arc of rolling back and forth, right? That would be kind of the same thing that, that you're talking about. So if you're not a manual person, you can use that activity as your, your starter activity to initiate the rolling activity. Right. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, sir. Good morning, happy Tuesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, coming off the long weekend, um, got to dig right in to today's Q&A. <clears throat> um, this actually came out of a discussion that we had yesterday on the uh, IFAST University call, and we started talking about carries and how each variation of a carry can emphasize a different aspect of propulsion if it is executed um, correctly. So we've got a lot of versatility in, in our carries, um, we could use these in a rehab situation where we're reintroducing force production in somebody and we don't want to lose ranges of motion, but we want to teach them how to manage the internal pressures. Um, carries are a great way to, to reintroduce that. If we talk about jumping and change of direction activities in an athlete, we can use it there as well. Again, because of the, the pressure management that's, that's required under those circumstances, we can increase endurance at high force production. So this would be more like an element where we would be more associated with like strongman type activities. Um, and then we can uh, emphasize the recapturing of range of motion via the shape change that's associated with the load distribution of the carries. And that's kind of what I want to emphasize today. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So load matters in, in this situation because the amount of force production is going to be determined by the by the loads used. So greater force production equals greater compression. And so the, the question mark then becomes is, are we trying to preserve or recapture ranges of motion? Or are we merely concerned um, with, with force production? Simple test. 
how hard is it for you to breathe as you're executing these activities. The greater the difficulty with breathing, the greater the compression, therefore you're moving closer and closer to a, a middle to, to max force production. Um, if we start to see compensatory strategies, so you start to see shoulders dropping or, or elevating in, in compensation for the load, now you know you're, you're drifting into situations where you're using internal rotation compensatory strategies just to manage the load. So you get to decide whether that is, that is something that you're, you're concerned with. Finally, you can look at um, monitoring your, your key performance indicators. So for instance, um, the chances of losing external rotation is greater at the higher loads or higher force productions. And so you have to decide whether, whether that's something that, that you're willing to uh, compromise on. And so again, monitoring those. So if I had a, a baseball pitcher, for instance, that, that is very reliant on, on having access to external rotation, if I use too much force production in, in a carry, I may be compromising that external rotation. Um, again, load distribution influences the, the shape change, and so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about emphasizing different aspects uh, of propulsion. So if I'm writing a program, and let's just say that my emphasis is on recapturing early propulsion capabilities, and I'm doing carries that do not support early propulsion, then I've actually created interference for myself. So if I'm do doing too much force, or I'm doing a carry that emphasizes middle when I'm trying to capture early, again, I have a conflict in my program. Now, I've talked about suitcase carries um, in, in the past, and so we're talking about the influence of a contralateral load here, but the thing I want you to, to recognize is that we've got the load outside of the base of support when we're talking about, about a suitcase carry, and so what, what we're doing is we're sticking that extremity that's carrying the load into middle propulsion, which means that we're going to increase the duration of the internal rotation moment on the, the opposite lower extremity, so we're increasing the duration of internal rotation, um, and if we, if we view this from, from the top, we can actually see the center of gravity shifting over on the opposing side. So this is actually a carry um, with, with the, the right arm that you're, that you're looking at. If I take this load and I move it up into the rack position, so, so this would be you know, the kettlebell uh, being, being in a rack position. Um, we're going to emphasize a, a shift of the center of gravity as well as an expansion to compensate for the distribution of load. So now I'm going to see the expansion moving posteriorly on the carry, the carry side. So what we have now is a delay. So we're moving from an E-yard to an I-yard Super, a superimposed I-yard position because the load is actually inside of the base of support and in the anterior. And so again, we're moving from ER to IR. So this is actually an emphasis on early propulsion. So if, I, if I'm biasing my programming towards early propulsion, I'm gonna emphasize a rack carry. The other alternative that we have for a unilateral carry would be a, a waiter's carry. So this is gonna be an overhead carry. Now, what we've done here as we move the center of gravity upward and it's still inside the base of support. So we're actually starting from a more IR representation moving towards ER. So what the waiter's carry provides us is an advantage of emphasizing a later propulsive strategy. So, so we, have, we have each phase of propulsion and we have a unilateral carry that provides us an, a, an emphasis of shape change and load to help us remain coherent um, with our programming. So 
again, if we're, if we're writing programs, and let's just say we have a, a left foot jumper with low force production, what we might consider then is the right suitcase carry because we're gonna train more of a middle propulsive representation. This allows them to acquire the, the concentric orientation of, of the pelvic outlet that they're gonna need to produce force during a jump. I could use the exact same exercise with a different loading strategy for a pelvic floor patient that's having difficulty capturing concentric orientation of the pelvic outlet. So again, it's it's just a matter of looking at this from the perspective of what muscle orientation do I need, what representation of, of internal to, to external rotation am I looking at, and then just choosing the appropriate area of emphasis in, in the activity. So I can't emphasize enough the versatility of using, using loaded carries. It's just a matter of understanding the representations of which propulsive phase you're trying to emphasize, and then manipulating loads and other parameters to remain coherent with your programming. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right. Today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday. That means 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, coffee and coaches conference call. As usual, a great group of people, great Q&A. We go a couple of hours, always a good time. So if you haven't joined us before, please join us at 6 a.m. The link will be on my professional Facebook page just prior to the call. Okay, uh, today's Q&A. Had a couple questions that came out on some cable exercises. And so just kind of decided to pick one. So we're gonna look at a, a little bit of a high-low cable press. Um, that is an, a nice exercise because it is um, modifiable to your goals in, in many situations. And in this situation, we're gonna talk about working from middle propulsion. So we have situations where we might need to slow someone's tibia down as they move through uh, middle propulsions. We have somebody that, that has an arch that, that drops very, very quickly. So they're going towards the end of middle propulsion very quickly, or they're trying to produce maximum force in the ground too soon. Um, and we might need to slow them down. So in that case, we can use a high-low cable press to actually reduce the, the rate at which the tibia is translating forward. So in this case, we're gonna use some, some foot cues very specifically. So we're gonna keep pressure on the, uh, the lead foot first metatarsal head, and we're gonna drive pressure posteriorly towards the posterior foot heel and in that case we're actually creating a delay in how fast that tibia is going to be able to translate forward now we also want to tweak the direction that we're applying force through the cable so this is going to be what we would consider um, parallel to the direction of our stance we have we have our feet pointing straight ahead and we're going to we're gonna aim that cable and press the cable straight forward under these circumstances. And in doing so, because of the position of the center of gravity towards the posterior heel, we're gonna actually slow the tibia down under those circumstances. We're also gonna create a delay strategy throughout the, the right side of the axial skeleton, also beneficial to prevent us from translating too quickly over the foot. Now, Second circumstance, same exercise, we're just gonna tweak it a little bit. Now we've got a situation where we might have somebody that's in an earlier representation through the foot and we wanna teach them to translate the tibia forward. So now we gotta teach somebody to, to move the arch downward a little bit more effectively. So we're gonna take this high-low cable press and we're gonna tweak our, our, our 
foot cues just a little bit. So now I'm gonna put pressure through the first metatarsal head and push it towards the lead heel. Under these circumstances, that's going to allow the tibia to translate more quickly over the foot, and we're gonna see that arch go down and we'll get people translating much more quickly towards a middle to, to max propulsion. Now, tweaking the direction of the cable press itself, now we're gonna go a little bit cross-body. So what we wanna do is we just orient somebody on an oblique just a little bit relative to the cable. So as you press down and forward, you're gonna end up aiming for the inside of that lead foot under these circumstances. So again, we're gonna push that sacral base forward and that's gonna allow us to square it to the, to the front and allow us to get through that middle P just a little bit quicker. So again, I love these, these exercises because they're so versatile. We talked about you know, the versatility of, of uh, carries yesterday. Um, this is just another one of those activities that, that's really, really useful when we're trying to create changes, especially through this middle propulsive uh, phase. And um, I think you'll find it beneficial as well. But just don't, don't forget, pay attention to your foot cues, especially uh, to allow you to control the position of the center of gravity so you can actually create the delay or the advancement forward. Um, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute Q&A with yours truly, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we will arrange that at our mutual convenience. I will see you all tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so you, you kill three birds with one stone, basically. It's a, it's a pattern that I see with weightlifting. Um, a lot of times I'll see an athlete that it, they have a left shift in the squat. Mm -hmm. And so um, what they'll do is that they'll compensate by really ERing the left, the left leg. Correct. They'll, they'll, they'll just... It's, uh, so it's not so much that there's a hip shift, but it's more that they, they just push that leg out to get the ER. Yes, sir. Um, they also tend to be in, in the upper body. They tend to be tighter on the right side, like tighter lat, less, uh, shoulder flexion on this side. So I feel like they're kind of like buried. They're kind of doing this in the upper body. It feels like they're turning into their right side. So they can't find the, the IR okay. I feel, um, and so, uh, and, and another aspect of, of this case is sometimes the, the right foot is back on the jerk. So they do left foot forward, right foot back. The right foot tends to be a little bit turned out, not, not too much, but it, they just can't find that, that IR. Correct. That's, a, that's exactly correct. Yes, sir. So, um, um, so what I've been doing in these cases, I've been, I've been focusing more on hip shifts. So like, I'll keep them in their split position, but just focusing on pushing the, the, the left hip back to kind uh -huh. of delay, uh -huh. uh, lay that motion. Um, but I, I saw your video on carries and I was trying to figure out how I could, I was thinking, uh, for a case like this, would it, would it be all right to do a, um, like a, a left, uh, suitcase carry to get the IR for the right foot? Mm-hmm. But then um, for the, should I do any carries for the right arm, I feel? Um, because I feel like if I do a suitcase carry on the right side, then I'm going to be uh, accelerating the left, which I don't want to do. And then I was thinking, well, what if I do a 
kettlebell carry or, or front rack carry because that could at least create some expansion on the right and help them get some okay you know, get some ER to capture IR. So I was getting a little confused in this. Okay, hang on. So if we're talking about the back leg and the jerk, so so left left foot lead, right foot back. Right. Okay. Yes. So think about think about them moving through time. So so from initiating the the dip. Okay, they're going to start from from middle to max, right? And then as they split their legs front to back, they've got to go from middle to a delay on the front leg and, and a late representation on the back leg. Right. So, so I'm moving from IR, okay? So late has more internal rotation superimposed on it to begin with, okay? You understand that? Mm -hmm. so, so think about... Um, which carry would you want that would be rep more representative of a late representation that has more internal rotation superimposed on it? So the simple answer would be, you give them a left suitcase carry and you give them a right waiter's carry. Right. Because that'll turn them as they walk, it will turn them in the same direction that you're trying to turn them in the, in the bottom of the jerk. Okay. You see yeah. that? Yeah, because I was I was I was actually using myself as an example before I do this to people, and that's what I was feeling. <laughs> that's the best way to do it. Yeah, so so I was using the left uh, the left suitcase carry and the right uh, uh, waiter or the front rack carry suitcase uh, front rack, and I was I was feeling that same sensation. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll create the delay, but but the, the question mark is, is do you want the delay strategy on the rear leg? And I would say you probably want to push them towards late because you're just going to try to square, you're going to try to push the sacrum to, to square the front, right? Because they got to they got to catch the if if they're not in, in as much of an IR position underneath the jerk and you try to catch that in a delayed ER representation, you're probably not going to hold position, right? It's going to be... You're, you're going to be too mushy, so to speak, right? And so um, I would I would say that that you you want to you want to keep them representative of middle with the least delay possible. And so, like I said, it'd be a left suitcase and then a right waiters. And and I think that's that's going to literally create the representation that you want because it, it it would superimpose the same pelvic orientation that you're trying to um, set up in the jerk. Okay. Oh, so right waiters instead of the right uh, front rack. Yeah, I think I think it's, I think okay. it's a better it's a better solution because again, you're trying to you're you're trying to stay as close to that middle representation as possible. Got it. And the the rack would would move you away from that by creating that delay. So should I not focus on uh, the so th with the, with the slight with the tightness on the right side, should I not focus on that? Should I just focus on moving the left back? Because then okay, once they so, back, they'll have, they won't be on. as buried into the right. You're going to love this, my friend. Mm. Put your right arm up overhead. What is your strategy to keep that weight up overhead? Would it be to close the right side down or to keep the right side open? Um, side bend to the right with your arm overhead. What, what just happened to you if you had a weight over your head? I would fall this way. Correct. Now reach up overhead, reach up overhead, stretch it up as high as you can. Which side got shorter? Which side got longer? The left side got shorter. 
would, would that provide you an element of solution for the, uh, the shift that you're seeing? I guess, would that, I guess count, would that counter the representation that you're seeing? Yes, because I'll be turned this way. That is correct, sir. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so you, you kill three birds with one stone, basically. Okay. Right? You yeah. see it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I was getting stuck at the at the at the at the. So here's the coolest thing. Here's the coolest thing. So this this waiter's carry for for the for the representation that you just described. We picked up left hip IR. Okay, we 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 picked up a late representation on the right side for the jerk, the the rear leg and the jerk, and you eliminated the IR compensatory strategy that they're using. So it's like I said, it's it's like a big bang exercise for the people that you're you're talking about. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. And then uh, yeah, like I said, and then everything else that I've been doing. So I've been doing a lot of like supplementary stuff with like cables, and then just again focusing on hip shifting, so pushing that uh, left femur back into the hip and and kind of expanding posteriorly, so that because it feels like. Like they're overcome, they're overcoming posteriorly on the left right now. That's correct. Forward, so I'm trying to create delay the delay and expand yep. the posterior, yep. the left posterior. Yep. yep, that's good. Yeah, because so again, you want the sacrum to, to go straight ahead relative to where the barbell is. You're right. Right. I want a sacrum that's in the same. If there was such a thing as a plane, I, I want the sacrum in the same plane as the barbell. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so to do that, you're going to have to, you're going to have to create the, the sacral orientation, which is what you're doing. Yeah. Cause like they can, they can keep the bar level, but I just noticed now that they're twisting somewhere else to keep it level without orienting the whole body. And there and you go. And you want, that to minimize, creates, you want to minimize that. Yeah. Right. Cause uh, in, in these athletes with that kind of representation, I'll, I notice sometimes they'll get, they'll have left um, knee pain. Like when they do, like they can do jerks, but they can't do splits, like deep split squats because that forward translation on the left foot is sensitive. Um, right. So, so they're, they're not, they're not capturing the, the full IR representation. So they're not turning the sacrum, literally just the same thing we just said. It's like, they're not squaring the sacrum to the front. They're staying in that, that, that measure of ER as they're trying to descend in the split squat, whereas they need it in the jerk because the jerk is above that, that full IR representation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very. Thank you. That's a good one, man. I like yeah. it. I will move them into the position with an exhale and then inhale in mm -hmm. the where I want that expansion to occur. Good morning, happy Friday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Crazy busy Friday. This is the work weekend for those of you on the two week sprint cycle. Um, we're going to dig right into today's Q&A and this comes from yesterday's Coffee and Coaches conference call. So we had two questions that actually came up, similar but different, um, both involving breathing technique and sequencing with certain activities. And the first thing that we want to do whenever we're trying to make progress in any way, shape or form is eliminate interference. And so the easiest way to eliminate interference 
when we're trying to produce force or we're trying to recapture relative motion is how do we sequence the breathing and what type of breathing are we going to use? And so we had, again, two different questions in that regard that will allow us to sort of address this full spectrum from quiet nasal breathing to the appropriate sequencing of inhales and exhales if we're trying to produce force or if we're trying to recapture relative motion. So I think a lot of people are going to find this very, very useful. Um, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com, put 15-minute consultation in the subject line, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Uh, podcast will be up on Sunday, and I'll see you all next week. If we're hoping to create more gentle breathing, like nasal breathing, mm -hmm. like exhalation strategy, uh, how do you personally cue that? That's my first question. <laughs> oh, that's it? Okay. Um, so when I say, I said, just breathe quietly through your nose. So when I want, when I want somebody to, to not use any force, um, especially with breathing, it's like, I don't want to hear you breathe. Right. And, and it's like, don't force it. Don't, don't think about it too much. Just make sure that you're breathing in and out through your nose. And then it becomes a process of refinement. So I don't expect them to do like be perfect from the get go. And then it's just a matter of you monitoring. You say, you know, like if you see somebody that is um, maybe breathing too quickly or you see accessory muscle activity in their neck or something along those lines, then it's just a matter of cues and coaches. And it's like, hey, just slow that down a little bit, right? Easy, heavy, be a little bit lazier, that kind of a thing. So, so again, you sort of set, a, you sort of set the premise of, I just want this to be quiet. And um, if you have the capacity to do so, demonstrate. Okay, and a, a little bit of a follow-up on that. If, if I'm doing something like a, um, just like a low force cable chop, you know, um, it's low intensity activity, but it's like, there's reps. Um, do, do I still want to cue in that, in that circumstance where it's nasal breathing, it's quiet. Do you still want to cue like inhale, exhale as the rep takes place? Do you want to completely abandon that notion? So they're just breathing without thinking. Okay. So so we have to de de determine what the intention is here, right? Relative motion. Uh, okay, and I, I gathered that um, based on your description, but but my point is is that so there are there are certain movements and behaviors that would be associated with the inhale versus exhale representation, correct? And then yep. so so you try to associate those within the context of the exercise itself. Okay, so so it's dependent on. So if I was doing a, if I was doing a cable chop, when when the arms are up up here, I would I would cue inhalation, and as they chop into the end position, I would cue an exhalation, mm -hmm. because that's what they would move. That's how you would move into that position naturally. Okay, because yeah, right. it, it is still a force producing position to move into that position. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then if I was going to, if I was trying to drive um, an inhaled representation at the end of that position, then I would, I would cue another breath to breathe in. So it could be that it would be inhale, exhale into position, inhale in the position, exhale on the return. 
Okay. 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 If I want to make it that complex, like I can do that. I can do this. Right. Um, sometimes it's not that necessary, especially when, when after, you know, the first few sets, first few sessions kind of a thing, somebody kind of gets, gets good grasp on it, then you don't need to worry about it. When I, I tend to only use the really, really quiet nasal breathing stuff in the laziest of activities. Sure. So if they are upright and on their feet, that's not the time for, to be lazy. I see. Okay. Because they're, ma they're still managing gravity. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, so, so the question I have is, 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 do you see any utility in if you take out, for example, any uh, unilateral exercise, right? Not heavily loaded one, to to breathe in as you produce the force instead of breathe out. Because uh, the thought that I had is after the conversation we had about the the boxing punch, is that you you kind of want to keep the ER space and then quickly impose IR and then back to ER. So you want to keep that expansion. And I was thinking that if you are able to breathe in while you're producing force in a certain vector, you're probably going to create a more local compression while maintaining expansion in all the surrounding places. You know, would, would you see any utility of that and your thoughts, whatever you can share, please. Here's how I tend to do that. Mm -hmm. Moving into a position with force, um, you would typically, it, it would be counterproductive to inhale under those circumstances. Okay. Okay. Yes. If I'm trying to capture inhaled representation at an end position like that, mm -hmm. I, would, I, would, I would pause in that position, maintain the static orientation and then breathe in there. Okay. Versus trying to breathe in as because when you're producing force, you're moving into a position with force, that is a compressive mm -hmm. behavior, yes. right? And, and so again, if I'm trying to produce the end position where I would want expansion, I would want ER, I will move them into the position with an exhale and then inhale in mm -hmm. the, where I want that expansion to occur. Okay. Versus okay. trying to breathe in, which is so, it, it's almost uncomfortable to try to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's not much force behind it. So again, what, what, is, the, what is the point of moving through mm -hmm. a force producing position without it, right? And, and if it's interference, then you just wouldn't select that activity. You would okay. just put them in the expanded representation and, and you would breathe there. And that's how you start like in, in the rehab um, uh, environment, you just start people in a static representation to teach them how to re-expand. And then you teach them to move in and out of them. And then you can sequence the breathing. So, you know, you, have you, you've done the, the uh, heels elevated squat where you exhale to, to sticking point, inhale below. I actually haven't done it myself. No. <clears throat> okay. But that would be kind of what I'm talking about is that it's like the reason I would have them exhale into that, that sticking point is because that's the natural force producing position. I want okay. to coordinate. I want mm -hmm. to coordinate the, the internal pressure mechanics yeah. you know, to, to, to match the sequence of the exercise. Right. So I don't want to change the, I don't want to alter the coordination okay. um, that would naturally occur. I'm just going to, to make sure that um, I would move them into the position that where they would expand uh -huh. well, they would produce ER and then 
produce the expansion there versus trying to move okay. into it. Okay. I see. Okay. Oh, that's helpful. Thank you very much.